Welcome to my show where I talk a little about anything and everything that inspires and entertains and to the people who make that happen. And boy, today do I have somebody who likes to entertain. I am so very excited to welcome my friend, singer and songwriter Will Hawkins all the way from LA on the show. Well, we are unfortunately not in the same room. You are in LA, I am in England. But it is so nice to see you after so long. It's crazy to think how long it's been. It's just it's it's funny how fast time can go. I mean, you look exactly the same that last time I saw you. <laughs> um, Thank you. I'll take that as a big uh, compliment. You look the same as well. Well, thank you. I'm hermetically sealed. (laughs) (laughs) It's really wonderful. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. You are the front man of the new band Nile Mile Station, and um, who is the new LA-based band. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, I would love to talk to you today about your life journey from how you had to stream always to be a huge musician and make music your life and the whole journey you went through, um, all the ups and downs you've gone through to, to come where you are today. And I am so excited that you finally, I believe, are at the place where you are making um, a life and a career in music, the dream come true that you always had. Um, I I know we haven't seen each other in person for, what did you say, about It's been at least 17 years. years, you think? 15 no, I mean, we've seen each other. I mean, the first time we met was probably around 2005, but we've seen each other after that. So maybe it's been 10 years. Thankfully, because of social media, you know, you feel like you, you know a little bit what's happening in each other's lives. So I have been following the journey that you've been on, but um, I haven't really spoken to you about all of that. But one of the favorite stories that I always tell is how we met. I came to London in 2003 with the idea to come for one or two years. And I brought my violin with me, thinking that hopefully I can play somewhere. And through a friend who had a contact in an orchestra, I think it was after a couple of months, I started playing in in a great amateur orchestra. And I was just so excited to play um, in England and in London. And a friend of a friend, had a colleague who was hosting these um, this platform for musicians on a Sunday afternoon in in, um, in Covent Garden. It was called the Rock Garden. Yeah, the Rock Garden. Oh, you're right, the Rock Garden. Yes, and um, it was. I don't think it. Well, it doesn't exist anymore. I know it doesn't. It was underneath, which is now the Apple Store. I played with this girl band a few Sunday afternoons, and this one afternoon, just after a sound check, this guy came up to me you <laughs> saying hi I'm Will from New York <laughs> and I did it I was like well that sounded really cool and I didn't go oh hi I'm Liesl from Bloemfontein I just said hi I'm Liesl and you said um uh would you like to earn 20 pounds I was like uh yeah <laughs> and um, you said um, um would you like to play a song with me so I said, yeah, sure. And we went into one of those little, you know, um, museum uh, practice rooms at the back and you played a song, which I've never heard. And it was one of those amazing musical moments, you know, just those magic moments where I started playing on the violin, just following your music and it just clicked. 
And I don't know if you remember, but we just played this one song and it just worked. And you said, well, let's try another one. And we tried another one and we tried another one. And I think that afternoon I played about three songs with you. Yeah. Um, and it was just... I got a lot for my 20 bucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> three for the price of one. <laughs> It was just really so. Oh, I don't know. I was. It was. It was. It was. I was just so excited. Um, it was just. It was just one of those magical, magical afternoons. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of fun, and it was. It. It felt really natural and easy, and it. As an artist, you hear things in your head when you write your songs, or even when you perform them. And the violin has always been a sound that has been really like, it's just something that's driven me. And I, I, I love the sound of it. And I love rock and roll that has it. So hearing you play during the sound check, it was like instant. It was just, I would love to add that. And maybe it's just the, like the New Yorker in me just being a little bit cocky and, and overconfident and thinking that you would even consider it. Um, <laughs> and you were incredibly lovely about it. And um but yeah, it was incredible. And that, I mean, we're looking at almost 19 years now, which is really crazy to think about. And it was around that time I released my first album, my first solo album. And I, you know, I've always had a career in what we call event marketing and production. So I was always doing contract work. I always had like a job. And right after 9-11, I committed myself to making this record finally and the and the technology had changed where you could actually make a record without going into a really expensive studio and i made that first record next stop bedford avenue over the course of about 14 months in a friend's like bedroom in in hell's kitchen in new york like we did the drums in a proper studio and then we recorded everything else in his in his bedroom with some really decent mics so the album came out in 2003 and i don't know how but BBC four ended up picking it up. I don't know how they got it. I don't know what happened, but we started getting a little radio play. So I took some vacation time and I went over there for two weeks and it was just incredible. All these promoters started showing up and time out London wrote something about me. And in New York, I was just one of them, one of many singer songwriters, but in London, all of a sudden there was this Americana movement and I, I was validated by it because I'm an American and I'm, I'm doing like a genuine version of it where there was all these Europeans attempting at do it. So a lot of promoters are like, well, we can use someone like this as an anchor to our, the nights we promote. And so I just started getting all these different offers. So I came back to New York after two weeks, like walking on air. I mean, I was like, I came back with my songs on the radio, but here I was, in a cubicle uh, in Midtown in like bad, like business casual suits, you know? And I just, I was looking around one day, I'm like, what am I doing here? And I decided in that moment that I sold everything and I moved to London and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make a go with this. And that's when you and I started playing more and more. We did a lot more event. We did a lot more shows together and that lasted a couple of years. And, I put out a second record in 2007, but then it just like a lot of artists, like there just wasn't enough money generated in order to like have an income to survive on or even, and I was dating someone towards the end of that rather seriously. And the idea of like having a family as, you know, making a hundred dollars a show, just 
it wasn't realistic. And another company had come around that I was doing freelance work for, and they offered me a full-time job for a lot of money. And I took it and I felt like I was getting paid fairly for the time I was, I was investing in the company. And that lasted like another seven or eight years. And I really didn't think much about music. It kind of became like an ex-girlfriend, like a bad ex-girlfriend, you know? And I was just like, it like there were some good memories, but a lot of it was, I felt some resentment um, that it had stolen something from me and I stopped playing. It just wasn't fun. And part of that was just having put so much of myself into it and getting so little back. Well, at least, and that had a lot to do with what my expectations were. And I had expectations. And as I've gotten older, I lean more towards the Eastern philosophy where like when you have expectations, it creates disappointment and depression and leaving more towards the universe to provide and to be more flexible. Um, and as a younger man, I was, I was more, um, maybe more arrogant, more stubborn in like not following the open doors that, that the universe provides for you. And I had a friend of mine say, it's so frustrating watching you try to kick down locked doors. All the energy that you put into this went across the hallway or all these open doors with gifts for you. And you ignore them. He's just like, it's, he goes, the entitlement that goes with that is very frustrating to watch. And he's like, sometimes I see you get through a door that you've knocked down and you get what's on the other side of it. But whatever was there, that goal slips through your fingers because the universe never intended for you to have it. You were just as a caretaker taking, you had it until someone else was ready to take it from you. And that's just the way the universe works. And it was the right person, the right time, the right glass of whiskey, the right light, where I heard my old friend tell me this and it, and it really hit me. And this was about, I don't know, 2015, I guess. And it was, um, it was pivotal in the way that I started approaching my life. And he said these words to me, he goes, the things in life that are meant for you will find you. And it just, it hit me in the chest. You know, and I repeat that a hundred times a day. And if a relationship doesn't work out or a job doesn't work out or a situation, an opportunity doesn't work out where I used to get, I'd shake my fist at the sky and I would get angry. Now I'm like, I'm not ready for it. I haven't, I haven't, you know, you. it's like you have keys to these doors that open up to certain rooms and there's certain times where you, you just haven't done the work or like you're, you're not in a mindset where that opportunity is ready where you are ready for it. So it doesn't mean that you can't prepare better for it, but this, the idea of entitlement that this Western philosophy of like, I worked hard. So therefore I deserve something. Well, I don't, I no longer think I deserve anything. You know, I, I'm just, so when something doesn't present itself in the way that I'd want it to. I take a step back and I might feel the grief of losing it, or I might, I might even feel angry about not having it, but then I kind of catch my breath and I'm like, all right, well, that wasn't mine, but there's something else on the table in front of me that is. So let me take another look at what's going on in my life. What did I miss? What opportunities are, are right in front of me that I wasn't paying attention to? And then living presently and being like, okay, I'm, it's not about what I want. It's what I have in this moment. 
And where is the enjoyment? Where is where is that joy? Where is that love? Where is that passion that I have now? And you know, I I I talk to friends about it. It's like you could want you you might be hungry and you might want a steak, but then the universe provides you with a salad. It's like well, you could either starve and wait for what you want, or you can enjoy in this moment what the universe has provided for you and. You, you get nutrition and you get sustenance and you can get joy out of that in this moment if you choose to be flexible. So once I started embracing that, my life got better. I got happier and my relationships improved because my expectations were different. And I started seeing what people, what their limitations were and where, where their assets were and working with what was there as opposed to what I was fantasizing about having and being more realistic about it. And I really, I had, I would play once in a while, but I hadn't written anything in a long time. And then after my friend and I had that, that conversation, I woke up the next day and for years I'd pick up the guitar and I'd play, I'd play chords, but nothing, nothing inspiring happened. I didn't write a new song. And then one morning I woke up and I wrote one. And it's now a single on this album that I've just released. And it's the first song I wrote in like eight years. And I have the, an original recording of it on my iPhone of me waking up in the morning and singing it and then me adding guitar to it. And then a year later, putting a band to it. And then I have the progress of this song over about four years, four or five years. And now I hear it on radio. Wow. Is that um, Caught and in the Rain? Or? Yeah, it's Caught in the Rain. So my mother passed away in 2017 and my dad passed away in, in 2005, but losing my mom was like different because then there's no one left. And she was a big supporter of my music where my father, um, he really didn't get it. He's an ex-policeman and he, like, he was happy that it was a, a uh, like a, a hobby, but he never really understood the need for me as an artist to create. Um, and when he passed away, it kind of, un, it, it took the handcuffs off in a lot of way where I wasn't no longer trying to impress him or please him. And with him gone, it was almost like addition by subtraction. So like, I no longer second guessed what I was doing as to what he would want or what would make him happy. And that created a, a lot of openings and opportunities for me there. But then when my mom passed away, there was this there's this love a mother has for their kids. That's just very different. And I felt the physical presence evaporate the minute she passed away. And I held her hand as she died. And the grief that followed that was really rough. I was 3000 miles away from home in Los Angeles. And I, you really find out who your friends are. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with someone in grief who's grieving. And there were some others that were like second tier friends or just outside of the bubble. And they saw me struggling and they had lost their parent. The next thing I know there, they come in and they do things that I would, I needed my real friends to do. But then all of a sudden those positions swapped where people I thought were close to me now became like distant friends where these distant friends became like family. And understood, understood a little bit better yes. what we were going through, I guess. It's tough. So, but in doing that, I, I tried to, I try to look at my life as like, what would my mom want for me? And she wanted me to be happy. That's all she wanted. You know, it's just like, and I had to take some real hard, a hard look at myself and say, what are the things that bring joy to you? And in that moment, it was a real, 
it felt really lonely. And I had a guitar that was in the closet and I pulled that out and I just started, I just started writing just as like therapy and songs came out of that and the, and the narratives and the, and the, uh, the filter or the positioning of where I was in that moment was different than where it was when I was writing songs for the first two albums. And there was a humility maybe in those, in those narratives that were missing in the first two albums. And so when I started playing them out, it drew people in like in ways that I had never experienced before. And the way I approached the audience was different. My, my singing voice had changed where I wasn't trying to sing like someone, I was just singing for myself. And it just, it drew in new fans and new friends. It drew in the musicians that are in my band, Nine Mile Station. And it just created a new life for me. And once again, like music saved my life again. And it, and it, and it drew in the kind of people that brought the best out of me. And then once we started performing again after the pandemic, there was a certain amount of confidence that was there that wasn't there, but not like arrogant confidence, just a confidence in your abilities, like confidence, like confidence in that it, it, you're there to make yourself happy, not anyone else. You know, there was, there was something very genuine about those performances. And we spent the pandemic recording. We were like, I wasn't working. I was picking up work here and there, but I'm an event producer. So everything was shut down. So we spent almost every day in the studio and I would wake up and write songs or, or I would see the world through this filter as a, as a writer and not have to take a conference call in between or have to make a proposal. So for a good 18 months, for the first time in my life, really, I didn't have to worry about paying my rent because here in the United States, there was a, there was a, a hold on, on uh, eviction. So if you were out of work, you, you had time and they, the government also provided cards to be able to buy food. And so like there was this freedom that came with it and like by far wasn't rich by it. We're still all struggling, but it, there was a freedom of my mind um, that was no longer attached to other obligations other than this. And it's some of the best work that I've ever done. Um, and it's led me to work with some really amazing people. And now that the pandemic's open, my, my work as an event producer has opened up again at the same time that our album's been released. And so I drive to work to Hollywood and I turn on the radio and I hear my song. Um, the songs on my work. And it's just, but you know, I'm a, I'm a student of stoicism where it's just a matter of, it's about an emotional balance and not letting the peaks and valleys push you in different directions where things are so good. You, you get overconfident and you reach too far. It's more about just maintaining your, your altitude and staying in the zone and it doesn't last forever, but you just gotta, you gotta enjoy it while you can and then regroup and set new positioning or set, you know, set the radar to the next mountaintop and, you know, just try to, there's a sense of humility that as an older gentleman that I didn't have as a younger man. And it just, it's created a lot more peace and resilience in my life that I, I couldn't possibly had convinced a younger self of mine to embrace. I just, it, a younger version of me, just especially living in New York and the speed that as a New Yorker, it just, it wouldn't have happened. So again, it's, um, 
you live your life, the journey, you, you appreciate the journey as you go. And as you set your goals, you, you got to, you got to embrace every single day and find the joy in every day. And I know that all these sound like very much like reading cards kind of thing, but it's, it's, a, it's a certain kind of reality that once, when you've hit rock bottom, you, you appreciate the sunlight or the, you know, the taste of a whiskey or the, the caress of someone who cares for you in different ways when you didn't think that you would ever have those things again. It's probably, you know, through the pandemic, we all came to a point where we suddenly realized these things that we just took for granted and what you suddenly came to miss. And I think well, for me as well, um, it got you thinking about, you know, what, what really makes you happy, what really you want, what you really want to do and, and appreciate things, the small things that you, yeah, that, that, that you just assume would always be there, like something silly, like to just go to a friend's house and speak to them, you know, or go for a drink quickly or go for a, yeah, go to a movie, go to a show, go, you know, it was all gone. And um, it, I think, uh, I've, you know, life is very much back to, if I can say normal, whatever normal is, you know, but I'm going to say pre-pandemic very much um, over here and, and most parts of the world. But I mean, I find we easily kind of just go back to how things were. And I kind of told myself, you, I have to remember those things that I've learned during the pandemic, you know, the things that really matter, the things that you really want to do. Um, and I think it maybe it comes with age as well, but I've spent the last four or five years as well going on this whole journey of, of, of understanding a bit more how the universe works and how you have power on what you, on what you think, on what you envision. And maybe one of the biggest things I've learned and which you've also confirmed now is that I always thought I had to have, know how I was going to get there. I always have to think, oh, I have this dream and I have to know exactly and have plans, exactly how it's going to get there. And one of the biggest things is you don't have to know. And like you said, you, you just have to have this vision and know what is your desire and the universe is going to take you there. As you say, sometimes you think that's the open door you have to take, which is actually the closed door because you just want to decide. You just don't want to leave things to, to happen. And, you know, I, when I was younger, I was very much a box checker and I would get anxiety about unchecked boxes. But now it's like if you want to cross the street, you know, you got to wait for the traffic to give you a chance to get there. You know, sometimes life is just about taking a pause, giving it a heartbeat, and then you can cross the street safely. But, you know, and it's just, um, and I think life is just about um, strategic pauses. Thank you. That's a very nice message. But listen, um, you, your, your band, Nalman's Mile Station, so you, you awarded, you, you um, released your album literally yeah, two, three album weeks on, ago isn't it yeah on may 23rd um it's been getting a lot of radio play around the, like the united states but also like spain germany and israel have picked it up i don't know okay. um and then we'll we'll be we'll be doing more singles as we go um i'm trying to get back to the uk maybe in the fall but it's the speed of things now that like now that things are opening up, I, I was kind of used to the slower version of the world and it, getting back to like, it was a little, it took a little getting used to, and I'm there now, but like, but the, mm-hmm. like when things For first sure. started opening up, especially getting back to work at the speed that like, that this industry goes at, it was shocking. And it, yeah. It's the first fast. couple of weeks, first month was just, you know, there was some, there was certainly some shock and awe, but I feel like I'm back <laughs> 
it feels like I'm back in the swing of it, the momentum. I feel like I'm running at a comfortable speed. Um, I feel very much in the zone in this moment. And I'm just, I'm enjoying being in the zone because I, I, I respect the fact that where I'm at in this moment isn't going to last forever, but I'm going to enjoy every moment of it and then regroup when it changes, when, you know, we got to pivot. But um, in this moment right now, it's uh, there's a there's a lot of joy that I'm experiencing and a lot of like just feeling very productive. And, you know, as an American male, being productive is kind of like what's in our blood, sitting around, not doing anything or not feeling that you have any value. I mean, I know these things are all that are in your head, but they're they're how we're how American men are raised. And when you don't have something to do or you, no one's care, like no one's counting on you or you don't feel productive, you don't feel whole. And in this moment right now, I feel, I feel whole and I still feel there's a lot more that I want to do. But um, when I go to sleep at night, it's, I feel like I've had a big productive day and I've, you know, and um, the work that we've done over the last two years, it feels like, like um, people are starting to getting to hear the music and enjoying it. And there's a lot of satisfaction as a songwriter and as a musician that it, what we've done is resonating with people. And that is important. Inspiring people, um, yeah. feeling you make a difference, you know, making, you know, making somebody happy or, you know, just bringing up great emotions and the passion of music. That is amazing. Yeah, and finding your own happiness and finding your exactly. own joy. Just, and, exactly. and appreciating exactly. what you have in this moment and you know it's it's been a it's been a hell of a journey but you know it's you take your lessons where you can find them thank you well well if anybody pleasure. if anybody um you know they have to check you out nine miles station music.com i believe very much. Is the uh, website. Instagram, it's not uh, our website's nine miles station music.com instagram's nine miles station music um and we're on spotify and Apple Music and Tidal, all you can find us wherever you need, wherever you get your streaming online music. Um, but thank you very much for for including me in your, in your podcast. It's really nice to see you again, and I I want to be able to have a, a more meaningful conversation with you <laughs> offline, and we can catch up properly. Um, but it's um, but it's been a lot of fun. Please make sure you come and tour here, please. I would love I will, to come and sure. come and see you. And if you can't bring your violinist and you need you need you need somebody yeah, to step straight. in. I'm counting, <laughs> I'm counting on you, for sure. For sure. Oh well you look so content. Thank you for, for the beautiful message of, of um which is really inspiring how the journey you've been through and appreciate your time talking to me today. And hope to see you soon. I hope so too. You have a wonderful night. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye.